Hello everyone and welcome back to the Brainwave studio. I'm Ian McAllister. I'm Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian Chandler. This is Brainwaves episode 61, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 23rd November 2020. Girls Game Shelf is coming to an end. Star Wars goes far, far away from FFG and Wizards of the Coast caught in a gale. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Up first, Jamie. Yes, I'm afraid some sad news at the top of uh, the podcast this uh, this week. The industry-renowned review, community, and blog site Girls Game Shelf has announced that it is sadly going to be closing its virtual doors at the beginning of December. Started in 2015, the site focused on the feminine perspective of board games and featured an all-star cast of female writers and presenters. A post on their front page notes that with the earlier departure of their founder, Kiki, uh, the pseudonym of Christina Aymarito, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, and their editor-in-chief, Anna Maria Jackson Phelps, stepped down this year, they made a joint decision to bring things to a close. Now, it sounds like it's all doom and gloom, but don't despair, because the site ends on a happy note, celebrating all the creators brought to bear, and asks that people follow the individual contributors in their future endeavours. Now, we'll include a link to each of their Twitter accounts in the show notes, and we wish them all the very, very best. You are fantastic, and we hope to hear more from you very soon. Absolutely. Agreed. All the best for the future. It's a shame that I, I'm I'm really sad and annoyed. By, well, you know, they, they're closing for a reason, but there's there's enough white guys talking about board games on the internet. I, I think it's a... A good thing when something like that wraps up well yes so it comes to it comes to a suppose, logical conclusion yeah. it, it stops but there's still the creators that are involved in that are still going to go forward and do their go forward sorry about that to to do their own thing and it's it's nice to see when something sort of ends amicably like that they just sort of stop and like if they the, the time for this thing has ended but we're going to go and do other things now that's cool it's good it's good to see them ending on a good note and yeah we'll be keeping an eye on all the people involved in that in the future for sure mm-hmm. good Absolutely. Yes. Now, Ian, I believe you have news from a galaxy far, far away for a company not so far away. Yes. On November the 16th, Atomic Mass Games announced that they would be taking over the Star Wars license from Fantasy Flight Games and become the new home of Star Wars X-Wing, Armada, and Legion. This sounds pretty dramatic, but like pretty much every game in company in our industry <laughs> atomic mass like fancy flight games is owned by asmodee so this is a transfer of property rather than a hostile takeover all wrapped up in the warm asmodee bosom oh yeah there's no escape <laughs> <laughs> uh, there seems to be a move by asmodee consolidating studios to be specialists earlier this year we had ffg's role-playing lines move to edge entertainment uh, which is also an Asmodee group company. Atomic Mass was set up to produce the Marvel Crisis Protocol Miniatures game, and with this move looks to be Asmodee's specialist miniatures company. Simone Elliott, who has been at the forefront of FFG's relationship with Lucasfilm, will lead Atomic Mass Games as head of studio. Will Schick becomes head of product development, and key members of the team from FFG will be joining them. 
So, Ian and Jamie, what do you think is actually left for Fantasy Flight Games at this point? Well, it looks to me like they'll be focusing on the board game side of things, I guess, and LCGs to an extent, because, well, they've got Marvel Champions out there, and obviously Arkham Horror is still doing well for them, and the Arkham properties in general. And they're sort of licensed board games, things like Fallout, that kind of thing. I, I, I would imagine we'll see more more licensed properties I think, Ian, you're also forgetting you're forgetting Fantasy Flight's granddaddy of them all. One of Ian's favourite games, Twilight Imperium. Well, yeah. They've got their own IP, obviously, with uh, with things like Twilight oh, yeah. Imperium. You, you, and also, Ian, I think it's like you said that you know, it's no getting away from Asthma Day, which generally is true, but there are some companies who I believe have managed to kind of break away and form their own thing again. Was it not Plaid Hat Games? Yeah, uh, but interestingly, yeah. Apl- uh, in- interestingly, Asthma Day did take control of the Dead of Winter license from them, didn't they? I, I think they Blood did, yes, that's true. Which was they sort did. of their biggest yeah. property. And it was it Heidelbar Games early in the year also split off from Asthma Day, or was that late last year? I don't remember, but yeah, they, they split off as well. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see Asthma Day sort of consol- like having consolidating down and making these specialist studios now. Maybe that'll be a good thing for the individual games and properties. Uh, if they've got like a sort of dedicated studio rather than like FFG who have got a massive focus or had a massive focus on various different types of games it might be good if the, there's a company that's only dedicated to miniatures game producing their miniatures games hopefully that'll be good for the fans but time will tell I guess Ian what do you hopefully. think because I mean you, you read us the story but uh, but I'm sure I'm sure you have an opinion about this I know you're as you said <laughs> you're a big Twilight Imperium fan I don't know how much oh no you're a fan of Armada is it uh, Star Wars Armada. I've yes. got the core set, which I have taken out and played using the Dreadfleet models. Which oh, nice! <laughs> has been excellent with the Dreadfleet models and the best use of Dreadfleet models I think anyone has done without including painting them. Certainly uh, better than Dreadfleet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was about to go, ooh, controversial. I went, that's not controversial at all. It's not controversial, yeah. It's the least no. controversial thing I could say. Anyway, back to FFG. I... I mean, it, it could be great. These nicely siloed companies could be really efficient and like one to two people could make great models, that kind of stuff. So they've got all that specialist knowledge. But what I worry is the lack of cross-pollination. It's going to be much harder for ideas to cross between games. And so much of good design is different ideas and just chatting to different people and just getting those different ideas into your design and figuring out how they work. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I hope that FFG manages to focus really hard on the board games and has a large number and a large variety of board games. Because if they yeah yeah if they're losing stuff, then they need to replace that variety with other things for the design pedigree. I just remembered also that Corey, um, who was one of their main designers, oh, he yeah. left to do to set up a new studio as well, didn't he? But I think that was also under an Asmodee banner. Corey Kaneska. I think so. Yeah, I'd have to double check that, but I think it, I think he was off to set up a new, uh, new Asthma Day studio. Yeah, he's talked about playtesting a few times on Twitter, but no concrete yeah. news yet, I don't think. Well, well, we'll bring you more on that as the situation develops, folks, and obviously we'll be keeping an eye on what FFG get up to as usual. Yeah, speaking of big companies, Ian, you have news about Wizards of the Coast. 
Yes, poor wizards cannot seem to catch a break, but it seems to be all of their own making. So the news broke on, uh, well, today, basically the 20th of November, that it just broke just before we came on, that Gale Force 9 is seeking $950,000 in a dispute with Wizards of the Coast over licenses for Dungeons & Dragons products that went south. Gale Force 9, if you're not familiar with them, they produce a lot of sort of licensed games like Firefly and the um, Star Trek game, and they've also produced a bunch of Dungeons & Dragons miniatures and some board games as well, including the much-loved Tyrants of the Underdark. And Dune. Yeah, some small game. <laughs> this podcast's Sorry, favorite game. It's it's about it's about deserts. I don't know. Who knows? Um, according Ian, to Ian, your the, humor is trying to be dry, but it's not working, mate. I'll shut up. <laughs> there'll be a, there'll be a podcast where I will not mention Dune, but this is not it. Uh, that's, a, that's one of those tumbleweed. I, I think I'm being attacked by tumbleweed. Okay. Uh, anyway, according to Gale Force 9, the suit arises from a situation that developed in May of this year when Wizards wanted to bring its arrangement with Gale Force 9 to an end a year earlier than planned, December 31st, 2020, as opposed to the same date in 2021. After no agreement was reached, Wizards stopped approving products for release in international markets. And if you'll remember rightly, we reported on the Dragonlance. Uh, lawsuit recently where wizards also stopped approving basically drafts of the new dragonlance books this seems to be a modus operandi for them breaches of contracts have been alleged back and forth between the two companies over the last few months the gale force 9 suit listed three causes of action breach of contract breach of implied duty of good faith and fair dealing and declaratory relief and temporary injunctive relief there are two licenses in dispute a 2017 license for translation and distribution of dungeons dragons products in a number of foreign countries and 2008 license for distribution of D&D products worldwide. Gale Force 9 CEO Jean-Paul Briscotti said in a statement to ICP2, We still hope this can be settled between us, but the timeline for a legal resolution has meant we have been forced to go down this path at this time. So yeah, Wizards in up to yet more legal shenanigans. Do you think they're closing ranks on some licenses, trying to bring more stuff in-house? What do you think is going on there, chaps? Um, I don't know, uh, before we make any comment, um, if, like me, anyone who's listening may be confused by the phrase temporary injunctive relief i just had to look that up um, and off google uh, injunctive relief also known as an injunction is a remedy which restrains a party from doing certain acts or requires a party to act in a certain way it's generally only available when there is no other remedy at law and irreparable harm will result if the relief is not granted irreparable irreparable so presumably Gale Force 9 are asking for that because Wizards have basically stopped saying they stopped doing what they said they would do in the contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, Netrunner went the way of Wizards when Fantasy Flight Games had control of it and that no one knows exactly what happened there but apparently that was to do with license disputes as well. Basically the license came up and Wizards asked for more money and FFG weren't willing to pay it so the, the license returned to Wizards of the Coast but in this case this is Wizards pulling a license from Gale Force 9 part way through the contract. I don't know how telling that is, really. Yeah, and doing so in a very strange manner by just refusing, not actually saying we're pulling this license or we're cancelling this contract, but just refusing to abide or allow new products. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> I mean, that is. Yeah, they're governed by contracts, so whatever they're doing, I don't know, I'm lost. <laughs> Is it entirely possible that the contract was set up in a time when Wizards was maybe not performing as well financially and now that they're seeing such such a return 
on Dungeons and Dragons as you know a kind of main selling point that they're going actually we we might want to take that back now with that being said yeah. them choosing to do it a year early may have something to do with the coronavirus pandemic or it may be for other reasons that we're not aware of I'm just thinking it may be similar to if you pardon the the slight um, tangent the way that Marvel kind of far, not farmed out but sold several of its licenses to characters like X Men or uh, spider-man or the fantastic four when it wasn't really using them and other companies made money off them and now marvel obviously is almost ruling the world they're like can we have our stuff back and sony for yeah. example with spider-man's going <laughs> no is it sony i think it's sony maybe it's fox yeah it was yeah. sony yeah. yeah it was sony fox, I think, fox was they, I think they came to it? arrangement eventually yeah that's a good comparison. I thought they loaned. Anyway, this is not the this is not the superhero podcast. That's yeah. um, Cape Waves, which is uh, we're recording next. <laughs> you two could do what you want in your own time. <laughs> oh my! Anyway, let's. Uh, we'll bring you more on that as the story develops. No doubt, we'll hear more on that as the case actually comes to court and resolves. Let's move on to the news. Any Jamie, talk about things making waves. Pokemon is still selling like gangbusters. Pokemon is still riding high like a surfing Pikachu from Pokemon Yellow. I hope I got that reference correct. Yep, we... Oh, for the last... We'll get complaints. I know, we will. And if you want to complain, please send it to Poker Waves, the Pokemon-based podcast that we're recording after Cape Waves. For the last couple of podcasts, we've been talking about boxes of Pokemon cards, you know, first edition first printing the original Pokemon card selling for, as you said, gangbusters amount of money. And we have another one. I mean, is the bubble going to burst sometime soon? Uh, you know, are, are people presciently paying pounds? Is Pokemon Pass popping? I don't know. But another first edition base set of Pokemon cards is up for auction. This time, it went live with an opening bid of $290,000 US dollars. Uh, that is 348000 with the auction fee. Bids opened at 7pm UK time on Thursday the 19th of November and by the time this podcast goes out it will have wrapped up. It finally sold for $360,000 dues. And we also talked last time about content creators like uh, Logan Paul and Logic getting uh, Pokemon cards uh, for as appreciable assets. This is still... Still minorly ludicrous. Lots and lots of money. There's also, I saw, I saw a little article uh, about an uh, uh, early piece of Magic the Gathering art for Demonic Tutor. Uh, went on the same site. This uh, um, Went on the same auction site for something like $190,000. Oh boy. So, yeah. Wow. Gaming collectibles. Who knew? I was just going to say, does this mean we've officially hit the year where people who grew up with Pokemon cards and this kind of stuff now have cash? Or... A few yeah them, yeah way. i mean it's all what drives a lot of our hobby is basically people who now have a lot of money and are looking to spend on things like fancy kickstarters for several hundred dollars and yeah that's yeah. a bigger conversation i think <laughs> yeah who would <laughs> yep. who would do such a thing actually i haven't but i'm being ridiculous anyway ian i believe you've got some news about the coronavirus pandemic funnily enough that is impacting next year yes despite the prospect of vaccines on the horizon covid19 has started to make its impact felt on 2021 convention season already 
Uh, the Game Manufacturers Association, Gamma, will no longer hold its annual trade show in Reno next March. They will be holding instead a digital version of the event, with presentations, an exhibitor hall, etc. Gamma have also announced that they will be holding a friendly local game store day on March the 27th to drive traffic to Gamma retail stores. So, yet another online convention. However, this one's the trade one. This is the one that people in the industry go to, not to buy games, but to chat, make connections, to... Yeah, do business, basically. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, because um, Gamma was the last sort of convention that happened in in real life before uh, coronavirus hit. Um, So, yeah, it hasn't had a chance to do a sort of digital version yet, so... Yeah. Yep, hopefully I'll learn some lessons from the conventions that have been before. And I'm sort of still sort of planning to do a, a special on digital conventions, get some people on to talk about their experiences and what's be, what's gone right, what's gone wrong, that kind of thing. It's great that we've got vaccines on the horizon and that all that's looking really hopeful. And hopefully by the end of next year, because it's going to take at least that long to vaccinate the majority of the population, we can see each other again and have events and that kind of thing. But I, I can't see, like, can you can you guys see like Games Expo happening next June? No, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, I got. Yeah, I mean, we we might have a lot of, va- of people vaccinated by then, but there's still going to be a bit of a hum and a haw about having thousands of people in an enclosed space, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, like everybody knows Concrud, and I remember getting it from Glasgow yeah. Games Festival, which has like two hundred, <laughs> three hundred people rather than tens of thousands. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. mate. It, look, it was a pancake breakfast. I'm sorry. I, I, it was a moment of weakness. You know. <laughs> Oh, that breakfast was good. That was, that was. It was. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I want to get back to mentions. I want to see you guys and play more games. Of course I do, but, yeah. You want yeah. to do it safely. I want to do it safely and make sure I'm not, like, harming anyone. Especially someone like myself. Who, I, like, I, I've been I've been working all the way through. For those who don't know, I, I work in a bike shop in Edinburgh. So we've been open right the way through. And so I've been trying to see people as little as possible because I'm exposed pretty much every day or potentially exposed every day. And yeah, I just can't see. Yeah, I can't. I can't see conventions ha- really happening in the same way as they would have normally next year, twenty twenty two, sure. But yeah, it's going to be a while before that. These conventions get back to normal, I think, unfortunately. But, yeah. but you don't worry, don't worry, listeners. Ian takes the time to see both me and Ian. I say see, uh, listen to us, and we're you know a, a, a responsible distance away, uh, about fifty odd miles. And that's the distance I like to keep them at, mostly. <laughs> so, next up is Jamie with a really interesting project. Yes. Now, the Endangered Alphabet Project is a Vermont-based uh, non-profit initiative to protect, in their words, endangered minority and indigenous cultures by preserving their writing systems, which they believe, you know, the writing system is really a cornerstone of of a culture if you if you think of something you will write it down i mean heck that's why ian writes so many articles and why ian's able to write down so many things to program some rather beautiful art i'm getting i'm getting sidetracked anyway uh, the statistics of the endangered alphabet project suggests that 85% of the world's alphabets are endangered and over half of the 6000 to 7000 um languages and alphabets that we have in the world will be extinct by the end of the century. Uh, so one of their 
one of their uh, initiatives is I'm going to say this wrong ULUS or ULUS U-L-U-S which is a Kickstarter project uh, for a board game uh, to preserve the Mongolian language now the Mongolian language itself right now is only really based in Inner Mongolia or Southern Mongolia which is itself a province of China and I feel like I should be delicate here, but I'm not going to. It's uh, being suggested the Mongolian language is in danger of being exterminated uh, because it has been decided that those people should not speak Mongolian because that's not Chinese. Yeah, uh, so Ulus, again, if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize, is based on a conflict between heroes, monsters, and gods of Mongolian legends and folklore uh, in the attempt to determine the fate of the Mongol Empire. So players will uh, have kind of an avatar of, a, of a, an individual, like a hero or a god or a monster, and build their own civilization. And their plan, their, their aim, is to win the annual festival uh, of the three traditional Mongolian sports, which are wrestling, archery and horse racing now the game itself there's slightly thin on the ground on details right now but uh you know it has it has said on the kickstarter page that it will be a whole lot of fun that's that's something to look out for uh it's also going to be in english and mongolian and have three different alphabets uh, as part of the rules it will be the latin alphabet that we know the cyrillic alphabet and the mongolian language now, the Kickstarter for it runs through till the 11th of December. If what I've said interests you uh, in any way, have we look at it? Um, I know we don't often do, oh, this is a new Kickstarter, so you should have a look at it. But I think it's the background behind it. I found this story. It's the background behind it and the project itself caught my eye. Um, I think it's very interesting. It's very poignant. I didn't think, you know, how how many alphabets are still out there in the world, how, you know, endangered you know indigenous and minority cultures have their own alphabets and how how under threat they are and actually on the the endangered alphabet project site there is an atlas of kind of endangered alphabets and it's it's astounding yeah it's a really cool project and it's really interesting to see games being used in an educational way what we i'd like to add a little sort of warning here about kickstarter projects and we're, we're going to be looking into the story a little bit more but we've had an update from one of kickstars that jamie is backing right now about really high additional fees that might be coming to some Kickstarter projects because of Brexit and new VAT rules that have come in. So do be a little careful about what you're backing and when it's getting to you right now, because if it gets to you after Brexit, it's entirely possible the price you pay will be quite a bit higher because of VAT coming in. Hopefully some creators will be able to get around that. But yeah, we're seeing some stuff at the moment where there's new VAT rules coming in and it's not good for small publishers and Kickstarter, but we'll bring you more on that once we've dug into a little bit more and know what's going on. Moving on, Ian, I believe we are rolling back to a previous podcast with some news about Sarah Thompson. Indeed, back in episode 55, we reported about Sarah Thompson's combat wheelchair design for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. They've released a set of free resources and rules centering on introducing characters and campaigns with disabilities into our Talsorian's Witcher tabletop role-playing game. When interviewed about the resources, uh, Thompson said, A lot of people play tabletop RPGs and a lot of us exist in the general population worldwide. It's time our games and our stories truly reflect this. It should be acknowledged in official books. It'll take time, but I believe normalizing disability, chronic and mental illness, and neurodivergency can and will happen. It has to. 
we exist and we want to exist in our fantasy settings we have and always will belong here uh, they're a fantastic advocate for neurodivergency mental illness chronic illness being included in games online they are a really great person to follow on twitter they've come under a little bit of attack for some of this for some of the content they're putting out which is kind of maddening especially when it's in the witcher rpg and now now i haven't read the books but as i understand it in the books the witcher is meant to be disabled is that right jamie because you've read the books a bit i've i've read a couple of books yeah um Geralt suffers Ger- a, Ger- geralt's got a disability yeah yeah he, he he suffers it and it's how he kind of how he deals with that and and i don't know about overcomes it but man- manages to yeah. you know I, I, I use it in his what yeah. am i trying she's, to say she's i've seen i've seen them be mansplained a bit about the witcher when they write for the witcher yes. rpg it's it's the same thing yes. as we said oh. with it's the same thing as so we said with Thompson's combat wheelchair, which combat yeah. wheelchair is a great design. Um, yeah, you, we talked about it ages ago. Yeah, episode fifty-five, and the same reasons. But you can't have a wheelchair in this game. It's not. It's not. It's not real. It's not real enough. It doesn't work. You are playing a game with dragons and magic. Grow up. I'm sorry. I, I've I've had a little bit of um. I've had a little bit of anger and frustration just building in me for a wee while, so this this might be a little bit of venting. So I apologise, um, but also I don't apologise seriously. Coming away from the serious side of D&D for a second, it's time to go once more back into comic relief Dungeons and Dragons. Back in episode 48, we talked about comic relief Dungeons and Dragons, and it's come around again. Questing time host and DM Paul Foxfort is going to guide four new comedians through a session of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that Those comedians will be Phil Wang, Sally Phillips, Lou Sanders, and James Acaster, who will be at the digital table facing their own adventure. Last time around, the people playing raised £25,100 for Comic Relief. And as with the last event, the live-streamed uh, game will allow people to donate to vote on items that will appear to help or hinder the adventurers. Uh, create creatures generally generally get involved for a wee bit of cash and uh, give some money to charity this episode is going to be showing on december the 4th Uh, we'll link to that on our social media when it's out and about a giant thanks to our patrons um especially our executive producers lucky sparrow gaming cafe and sean newman from the gaming lot team yeah, if you'd like to help us out, then you can join the Patreon for a $1 a month where you get an extended version of the cast. And if you want to find other ways to support us, you can go to the Support Us page on the site that's got various direct donation modes. Uh, we've got some Amazon affiliate links in some of the articles as well. And we have hooked up with Metallic Dice Games recently, who have very generously given us a wee code to give away to our listeners and readers. That's Roll With Brains, all capital letters. And we will get a little cut and you will get a bit of a discount. So uh, go and check them out. They make some very nice, heavy dice. Extended cast is excellent this week because Jamie makes a mistake literally two seconds into the cast. Perfect. Professional all around. (laughs) Sorry, Jamie. Nothing's gone wrong. wrong. And this is why we have editing. Indeed. Uh, Jamie, Uno, and game shows? Yes. So, I'm afraid, once again, I did not manage to get any Monopoly news, but I have got a... Boo. Du- hey, 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 hey. Hold, hold, you, hold, hold your boos. Hold your hoorays. I have got a double feature... 
for you of uh, classic games in slightly new formats. Eh, sort of. Now, as Ian alluded to, Uno is 50 years old next year. That's... I'm, I'm, I thought it was a... It certainly feels like it. I was going to say I thought it was a little bit older than that, but also... I was about to say I thought it was older than that, but I also thought it was younger than that. So what, yeah, what I'm actually saying nice. is I'm talking nonsense. So, the company behind the in-development Ticket to Ride TV series, which we covered all the way back in episode 31, that was almost half the entire podcast we've ever put out uh, ago, uh, which is Propagate, they've teamed up with Mattel Television uh, to develop a family game show variant, or family game show based on Uno. According to the entertainment magazine Variety... The Uno Game Show will feature four teams who will face off to become the ultimate Uno champion. The unscripted series will incorporate audience participation, physical challenges, and trivia, and other creative elements. What they are, yet to find out. I'll be honest, that sounds eh, mildly interesting, Uh, but apart from slapping the Uno name on it and, you know, maybe like, oh, you've managed to make the other team skip a go, or... I don't know. Right now, I'm not seeing it where the Uno stuff is coming in. But then again, I know nothing about it other than it's pretty much just been announced. Will they play by the controversial rules of you cannot stack plus twos? Which is clearly nonsense. You you cannot stack plus twos, I believe, is standard Uno protocol. And if you do that, you're deviating. You're the kind of person that puts all the money you get from taxes and stuff into the centre of the board in Monopoly. And if you land on free parking, you get that money. You're, you're like those people. You, I, you know. <laughs> Stacking plus two. The worst the people. Part of the and I, I don't know about the worst people. I'm just saying. I'm saying. I'm saying you're you're a, a mad, crazy deviant, and I respect your. Uh, I respect your boldness. Uh, but yeah. Also, I didn't realise Mattel had a television division. Also, that's fun to say. I can't think what we have or may get to see yet from the Mattel television division. Anyway, moving on from the Mattel television division. Uno. Yeah. Uno, dos. My second piece of news is not about Monopoly, as I said, but it is about Cluedo. Now, mirror, mirror from the projector. What version of Cluedo did I not expect? Er. Not good at rhyming. <laughs> That's why we don't pay you any money. Yeah. Exactly. Can well, I fire the myself? <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. I think we I'm should fired. fire Jamie out of a cannon. You all love me. Uh, there is no murder in Cluedo Disney Villains Edition, but one of you Disney Villains has hidden a magical McGubbin thing in a secret location, and your evil villainous job is to find out who has the magic item, what is the magic item, and where is the magic item. Now, the characters you can play as in this game are Maleficent, Jafar, Dr. Facilier, Ursula, Hades, and Queen Grimhilda, which I didn't realise or forgot, I can't remember, was the name of the evil queen from Snow White. Now, the items are a scepter, a scarab, a talisman, a shell, a poison vial, and a poisoned apple. And locations available include the Fathoms Below, the Underworld, and the Other Side. And that's out now. So if you like Cluedo, or Clue if you're in America, and you like Disney villains, I mean, this might be the thing for you. I mean, Villainous has done very well, so it could be yeah, another I'm, thing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking they're sort of cashing in a little bit on the villain side of Disney with the villainous doing yeah. oh. such great guns, which is good. 
Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, and I can't blame you for not, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. You can also follow us on the usual places. Twitter, we're at The Giant Brain. Instagram, Giant Brain UK. Our Facebook is The Giant Brain. Website is giantbrain.co.uk. And you can email us with any complaints at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.